Welcome to Over Enzymuth, a HP Lovecraft podcast where me and my my co-hosts uh, talk about HP Love oh, crap. <laughs> <clears throat> Welcome to Over Enzymuth, where a podcast where uh, we read a HP Lovecraft story, and if it's not too racist or boring, we release an audiobook of it. Uh, my name is Jesse, and with me today is someone who all the alienists have trouble pinning down exactly what's happening to their mind right now. Faith! Hey, what up? Uh, turns out I'm just neurodivergent. Yeah. My brain just isn't built the same way as other people's. What? You can just sit there and be happy? Well, I'm built different. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you could do, like, five hours of work in two? It just... I don't know how. Yeah, I just can. <laughs> and but then I need like three hours of recovery. <laughs> what do you mean the the idea of like hanging around dogs, even though you love them, exhausts you? I just I want them to like me. I want them. I want them to like me, but also they use people energy. Yeah, like I don't know how to explain that to people. Like dogs use people it's energy. True. The, I've only met a few dogs that don't. Yeah, like like and. I don't know how to explain that to someone who's like not doesn't feel it. Yeah, somebody you mean same? somebody who isn't neurodivergent. Yeah, because like <laughs> because like I have only so much energy for people, and dogs take up that energy. Yeah, so I, and I will gladly spend it on dogs over people. Yeah, any but day. like I can hang out with a cat forever. Yeah, though. like cats don't take people energy. We uh, we dog sit our our friend's parents dog on the regular and because she is a dog owned by old people she, she's the most chill dog i've ever met she yeah. just hangs out it's great she's the introvert yeah. version of a dog well speaking of uh speaking of i hear in the in the clanging of the restraints in this psychiatry hall uh Something, something dark and mysterious. Oh yeah, right here in my bedpan. There's a blurb for some reason. <laughs> that might be diabetes. Oh, you probably get that checked oh, out. Shit! <laughs> Damn it! But it says immediately after completing the dream quest, Lovecraft began a second short novel, working from January to March first, nineteen twenty-seven. His work may have had its origin in a novel about the Salem witchcraft that Lovecraft was contemplating in nineteen twenty-five. Upon his return to Providence, he evidently decided to set it in his hometown. It is Lovecraft's longest work of fiction, and its rich evocation of Providence topography and history is unmatched in his work. Lovecraft found many details in Gertrude Selwyn Kimball's Providence in Colonial Times, written in 1912. But Lovecraft himself dismissed the novel as a cumbrous, creaking bit of self-conscious antiquarianism, and never prepared it for publication. At first, it first appeared in Beyond the Wall of Sleep in 1943. Oh, okay. okay. Well, you know, whoever gave that first edition of, like, uh, Witch Cults, like, really just put Lovecraft in a completely different direction know, in his right? life. I know, right? It's wild. <laughs> because, like, he has been on a, like, besides, like, a few of the stories, like, ever since, like, The Unnameable, he's really been on, like, a... Like witchcraft kick, I know, or like which he doesn't really explore much, except for in like uh, dreams in the witch house and um, a little bit in Dunwich Horror. Yeah, but like the, there, he has been inspired by that one book he was so given much. like so many times. I get it. Yeah, I remember the first spooky book I read that left a that really left an impression on me. I remember the first uh, uh, erotic vampire uh, <laughs> BDSM uh, book I read. It really left an impression Same. on me. 
I was around eight when I read it, and it was because I couldn't go to the library that oh, day. Oh, well, shit, there you go. I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Not read the BDSM erotic vampire fiction? I learned what sex and BDSM was on that Just day. Just all in one. Just get it over with. I, re- I remember very specifically them describing in a lot of detail about how the person's uh, vagina was pounding. Oh shit! Like like still throbbing after the after sex. I'm just like, what does that mean? <laughs> what what is a vagina? <laughs> well, I knew Do what I... a vagina was. I, oh I, okay. No, yeah, because I helped change my little. Oh, sister's, I guess like, you did have a sister. Diapers and everything. Yeah, I knew what a vagina was. I just didn't know that it was used for anything besides peeing. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. So, yeah, so, you know, sometimes you read a spooky book. Actually, wait, what was the first spooky thing I did? What was the first spooky thing? I don't want to be a basic bitch and say Nightmare Before Christmas, but I think it was. My, I think the first spooky book I ever read or was introduced to were, was uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, man, that one story about the baseball player. Oh, God, yeah. The, oh, my God. <laughs> it's such a uh, good... The movie's good, too. The movie is pretty fun. Oh, wait. The movie's out? Yeah, the movie's been out for like two years, buddy. A what? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Can I get it on streaming anywhere? I'm pretty sure you can. Uh, here, I'll look it up for you. But yeah, it's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Uh, great books. Also a good movie. I hope they make a sequel. Scary Stories to Tell 2019 is when it came out. You can watch it on Tubi. I'm sure you can watch it other places. But yeah. Oh, yeah, you can watch it on Tubi, Hulu, etc. Prime. So oh, pretty much any of, the, uh, any of the streaming places. <laughs> Except for Netflix, you can watch it on. Apparently someone up- uploaded it on the Internet Archive as well. Nice. <laughs> Which, I mean, I feel like it, that's not what it's supposed to be used for. But, oh, yeah, I realized you know. the other day that um, in... Uh, having a youtube subscription because i don't want to watch proper you <clears throat> ads ever again uh i can also watch movies on there <laughs> i only yeah. i only i only pay for it so i don't have to watch fucking ads <laughs> i i like mm-hmm. i suspended it for like a month and regretted it like immediately like the first video i watched there was a proper you ad and i was like fuck this <laughs> and i renewed it yeah, I would probably end up doing I have to that. watch at least 15 seconds of a PragerU ad just to watch this video on about a sonic inflation game. I don't want this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we're going to go to the end of part one. And that's going to be the last of the very easy places oh, yeah. to end. Um, so nice thing about the case of Charles Dexter Ward, which we'll be reading today, it is split up into parts and chapters. It's not like during Quest of Ono and Kadath, which was not written to be published. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank God. I'm so happy. This is like parts and chapters and stuff. I'm very happy as well. The case of Charles Dexter Ward by H.P. Lovecraft. The essential salts of animals may be so prepared and preserved that ingenious man may have a whole ark of Noah in his study and raise that fine shape of animal out of his ashes at his pleasure and by the like method from essential salts of humane dust a philosopher may, without any criminal necromancy, call up the shape of any dead ancestor from dust where into his body had been incinerated. Baralus, Part 1, Chapter 1, A Result and a Prologue. From a private hospital for the insane near Providence, Rhode Island, there recently disappeared an exceedingly singular person. He bore the name Charles Dexter Ward, and was placed under restraint most reluctantly by the grieving father, who had watched his aberration grow from a mere eccentricity to a dark mania, involving both a possibility of murderous tendencies and a profound and particular change in apparent contents of his mind. Doctors profess themselves quite baffled by this case, since it presented oddities of a general psychological as well as psychological character. In the first place, the patient seemed oddly older than his 26 years should warrant. Mental disturbance, it is true will age one rapidly, 
But the face of this young man had taken a subtle cast, which only the very aged normally acquire. In the second place, his organic processes shewed a certain queerness of proportion, which nothing in the medical experience could parallel. Respiration and heart action was baffling lack of symmetry. Respiration and heart action had a baffling lack of symmetry. The voice was lost, so that no sound above a whisper were possible. Digestion was extremely prolonged. Digestion was incredibly prolonged and minimized. And no reactions to standard stimuli bore no relation at all to anything heretofore recorded, either normal or pathological. The skin had a morbid chill, and dryness in the cellular structure of the tissue seemed exaggeratedly coarse and loosely knit. Even the large olive birthmark on the right hip had disappeared. Wilts there had formed on the chest a very particular mole or blackish spot of no trace existed before. Wilts there had been on the chest a very particular mole or blackish spot of which no trace existed before. In general, all physicians agree that in ward, the processes of metabolism had become retarded to a degree beyond precedent. I do agree. I do think people with mental illness do age real quickly. Oh, definitely. Like it, yeah. Well, stress in general will age you. Stress plus having a mental illness is really hard on your body. Yeah. Because mental illness doesn't just affect your mind. I mean, it causes a lot of physical symptoms as well. Yeah. Like, uh, anxiety can cause really poor circulation. Um, uh, depression can cause, like, stomach aches and indigestion. It's kind of, it's pretty yeah. wild, actually. Um, a lot of people yeah. with autism apparently have celiac disease. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I know. Nobody's done a study on it, but I've heard that from more than one autistic person that, like, they're like, hey, yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> Oh, uh, drug addiction oh, yeah, and gambling substance, addiction is really high in people with ADHD. Uh, substance abuse in general is very common with mental illness, which yeah. that can also age you real fast. Also, apparently a lot of people with ADHD like had or went through or are still going through a phase where they just steal a lot of shit. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Nah. Accidentally steal shit all the time. I'm just like, oh, oh no. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Psychologically, too, Charles Ward was unique. His madness held no affinity to any sort, recorded in even the latest and most exhaustive of treatises, and was conjoined to a mental force which would have made him a genius or a leader had not it been twisted into strange or grotesque forms. Dr. Willette, who was Ward's family physician, affirms that the patient's gross mental capacity as gauged by his response to the matters outside of the sphere of his insanity, and had actually increased since the seizure. Ward, it is true, was always a scholar and antiquarian, but even his most brilliant early work did not shew the prodigious grasp and insight displayed during his last examination by the alienists. It was indeed a difficult matter to obtain a legal commitment to the hospital. So powerful and lucid did the youth's mind seem, and only on the evidence of others, and on the strengths of many abnormal gaps in his stock of information as distinguished from his intelligence, was he finally placed in confinement. To the very moment his vanishment, he was an omnivorous reader, and as great a conversationalist as his poor voice permitted. In shrewd observers, Failing to foresee his escape, freely predicted that he, that he would not be long in gaining his discharge from custody. Yeah, this guy just sounds like he's neurodivergent. Yeah, it sounds like they just don't understand someone who probably has, like, probably mania, I want to say, it sounds like. Yeah. Like, or some sort of some sort of borderline. Yeah, uh, yeah disorder. either on the uh, hypermanic side of bipolar or some kind of, yeah, personality disorder like that. Uh, by the way, yeah. people who don't know, alienists were was the name for psychologists at the turn of the century. Honestly, I wish they kept I it. Know, it's, it's such good. a cooler name. 
<laughs> it sounds it sounds so much cooler. An antiquarian sounds so much better than like an antique. Yeah, but yeah, alienist was like a broad like for psychologists, psychiatrists, anybody that dealt with psychology at that time. Well, you know what? You know, I'm going to make it even better. Alien tricks. <laughs> Alien does tricks. It's little tricks. Well, because it's a little dance. Because tricks. That well, as at the end of Dominatrix, oh. it just means like woman version of a thing, and we should make that the primary one. So instead of Magister, it should be Magistrix. Oh shit! Or instead of Barrister, it should be Barristrix. Aviatrix. Yeah, so alien, alien tricks. Alien tricks. Yeah. So, whenever I eventually write a novel, that's how I, everyone's gonna go by default. Tricks. The female tricks. tricks. Yeah. Because it's a lot cooler. And uh, also, I'm not gonna use an S, it's gonna be Z's, because everything, everything's cooler <laughs> with Z's. Everything in my world, taser is spelled with Z and not an S. Laser, taser, <laughs> Jesse, spelled with Z's. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'd like it better if it was spelled with Z's. Oh God, my last name is Schindler. Put a Z. Zindler. Zindler. <laughs> Only Doctor Willett, who brought Charles Ward into the world and had watched his growth of body and mind ever since seemed frightened at the thought of his future freedom had made a terrible discovery which he dared not reveal to his skeptical colleagues will it indeed presents a minor mystery all of his own to his connection with the case okay connection with just an x instead of a t is still so much better oh, yeah. than how we yeah. spell connection now yep. um yeah so because that's how he spells connection in this. It's with an X. Yeah, we have we, we've had this before as well, I think. Yeah. So, uh, I vote bring that back because you know how I would love to spell connection? With an X instead of a C-T. Same. It makes it shorter. It makes it easy. It makes sense. Yeah. And also, it makes more sense of how it's actually said. Like, with a more Americanized accent yeah exactly it's it's smooth. bring back more x's yeah x's and z's <laughs> so let's go more x's more z's Woo! he was the last to see the patient before his flight and emerged from that final conversation in a state of mixed horror and relief which several recalled when ward's escape had become known three hours later that escape itself is one of the unsolved wonders of dr waite's hospital a window open above a sheer drop of 60 feet could hardly explain it yet after that talk with roulette the youth was undeniably gone roulette himself had no public explanation to offer though he seemed strangely easier in mind before the escape many indeed felt that he would like to say more if he thought any considerable number would believe him he had found Ward in his room, but shortly after his departure, the attendants knock in vain. They opened the door, and the patient was not there, and all they found was an open window with a chill, autumn breeze, blowing a cloud of fine bluish-gray dust which almost choked them. True, the dogs howled some time before, but that was while Willette was still present, and they had caught nothing and shewed no disturbance later on. Ward's father was told at once over the telephone. He seemed more saddened than surprised. By the time Dr. Waite called in person, Dr. Willette had been talking with him and both disavowed any knowledge or complicity in his escape. Only from certain close confidential friends of Willette and the senior ward had any clues been gained. And even those are too wildly fantastic for the general credence. The one fact which remained that is up to present time is no trace of the missing madman had been unearthed. That is one way to suck me into a story. All I know is that this person's real smart, seems to be very lucid, also seems to, you know, you know, be dabbling in more older type of knowledge, and they escaped with no trace. It's, you know, 
mm-hmm. one way of doing yeah. it. Yeah, it's a good way to start the story. And with mentions <sighs> of that, he wasn't always like this. Yeah, which is a which definitely means something he found later on in life caused it. So, mm-hmm. and I do know we're going to be talking about like your sawgoths and stuff later. Hell so. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then we're going to get to that one where that one lady fucked one. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to... Oh, man. I can't wait till we get to the monster fucker ver- oh, uh, yeah. like part of I can't of wait Lovecraft's for Shadow over Inn Smith. See, like, like, some people think, oh, that's just about, like, inter... Like, inter... Uh, inter-race mixing. <laughs> nah, it's about fucking monsters. He, he, he makes fucking the fish people sound too good for it to... He also makes fucking, like, a your shoggoth, like, sound pretty cool, too. You get a goat baby? Goat baby. That sounds awesome. You get a goat baby. I want a goat. Yeah. Yeah, I love goat baby. I wouldn't, give me a fucking goat I wouldn't baby. like to give birth to a goat baby, but that's just me. No. Nah. But, I mean, it probably is pretty fun fucking a your shoggoth. <laughs> it's just, like, after you fucked, you're both laying in bed. They're, like, smoking a cigarette. They're like, all right, well, I gotta go, but before I leave, they just hand you the goat baby. <laughs> <laughs> like this is for you. I have to leave. <laughs> By the way, you're probably going on to buy a lot of hay. What? <laughs> Never mind. Just I'm leaving now. Here's the care guide. They hand you like a laminated sheet. <laughs> it's like a binder. How does she- it's a binder with all the medical history for your goat baby. <laughs> so like take How this to, take to the vet cake- when you got to. <laughs> How to take weird care of your weird fucked up goat baby what <laughs> hell yeah what the hell are you talking about oh, thanks <laughs> i was wondering <laughs> i want to take good care of my weird goat baby okay i want to make sure wait, i don't have a uterus how'd you wait what <laughs> it's yours no take backsies <laughs> they hand it to you that's the first thing they say <laughs> <laughs> like oh okay uh they did th- they did do that one thing though which i am always appreciative of which is a touchstone of almost every one who wants to be considered legitimate when they're telling a supernatural story it's uh hey i don't believe in this weird things are happening here's like some possible explanations of it but this is what happened and like you know, but this is what happened. I don't know. I, there's nothing else for me to believe, basically. Mm-hmm. That's why people. That's why people um, who aren't already like deeply entrenched in like UFO stuff will always say like, "I didn't believe in UFOs before this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which honestly, I think people should just stop couching everything and be like, "Yeah, fuck it. No, I'm I'm goddamn crazy." Yeah. Well, been <laughs> whatever. Cuckoo. Fuck it. <laughs> I'm the I'm the guy who is the cuckoo's nest. It's me. <laughs> I'll believe in aliens. I won't believe in the ancient aliens theory because that's racist. You know what? I think the only I think the only people who need aliens help was white people. Oh, probably. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> Depending on how deep you get into UFO uh, conspiracy theory stuff, there is a race called the Nordics, which basically look like oh yeah, I know exactly what yeah, you're talking about. And they about. worked with the Nazis. Yep. They're they're bad yep. guys. <laughs> Depending on who you talk to, Palladians tend to be the good guys. Um, there's also Saurians who also worked with the Nazis. Um, apparently they were the ones who gave them the UFOs to let them get into the center of the Earth. Yeah. Not, not the lizard people. The Saurians are from space. Oh, that's another thing. I don't, I don't believe in lizard people because that's anti-Semitic. Well, yeah. No, that, it is. I wish, I wish it wasn't. But the text that people got it from, which was a novel, by the way, is literally just anti-Semitic. <laughs> At no point of the conception of lizard people was it not anti-Semitic, except for probably the first 20 years of David Icke spewing his bullshit. David Icke, for a long time, actually believed in lizard people. Now he's just straight up anti-Semitic. Oh, damn. Yeah. But but the alien uh, alien, uh, alien to anti-Semite pipeline is strong. That being said... Charles Ward was an antiquarian from infancy, no doubt gaining his taste from the venerable town around him and from the relics of the past which filled every corner of his parents' old mansion in Prospect Street on the crest of the hill. With the years of his devotion to ancient things increased, 
so that history, genealogy, and study of colonial architecture, furniture, and craftsmanship at length crowded everything else from his spheres of interest. These tastes were important to remember in considering his madness, for although they do not form its absolute nucleus, they play a prominent part in its superficial form. The gap of information which the alienists noticed were all related to modern manners, and were neverly offset by correspondingly excessive, uh, though outward concealed knowledge of bygone matters, as brought out by an adroit questioning, so that one would have fancied the patient literally transferred to a former age through some obscure sort of autohypnosis. The odd thing was that Ward seemed no longer interested in the antiquities he knew so well. He had, it appeared, lost his regard for them through sheer familiarity, and all of his final efforts were obviously bent towards mastering those common facts of the modern world which had been so totally and unmistakably expunged from his brain. That this wholesale deletion had occurred, he did his best to hide. But it was clear to all whom watched him that his whole program of reading and conversation was determined by a frantic wish to imbibe such knowledge of his own life and of the ordinary practice and cultural background of the 20th century as ought to have been his, by his virtue of birth at, in 1902 and his education from schools from our time. Alienists were now wondering how, in view of this virtually impaired range of data, the escaped patient managed to cope with the complicated world of today, the dominant opinion being that he is lying low in some humble and unexacting position till his stock of modern information could be brought up to the normal. Okay, so this is giving me vibes of uh, the thing of the thing on the doorstep where that lady who is like a sorceress is trying to get a man's body. Like, so here's here's mine, and I, I have not read this book. I just I just know that we do deal with uh, the we do deal with the larger Cthulhu mythos in this. Mm-hmm. Um, my theory so far is that his mind was replaced. Oh shit! With something, he looked too hard into something. Yeah, and his mind was replaced. And the reason why he's acting so weird to people who knew him. In the past is because it's not him anymore. Yeah. Oh shit. I, now, I like that theory. I might be wrong, but sorry. No, I like that theory. I think. Yeah. Yeah. We only have like what ninety more pages, <laughs> so it's whatever. <laughs> but this is the current theory from what the evidence that we have presented so far. This this seems like the best that his his yeah. mind has been. Somebody scooped Dexter Ward out and put something else in. Well, they did that thing that they do in the Psychonauts, Psychonauts game, where you can take out a person's brain and put another person's oh, brain shit, in. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, that's what they did. They got a funnel, a brain funnel. It's like, you know, have you ever seen the man with two brains? Yeah. <laughs> they screwed his head back on. <laughs> it's on just like a little catty wampus. <laughs> the beginning of Ward's madness is a matter of dispute among alienists. Dr. Lehman, the eminent Boston authority, places it in 1919 or 1920, during the boy's last year at the Moses Brown High School, where he suddenly turned from the study of the past to the study of the occult, and refused to qualify for a college on the ground that he had individual researches of a much greater importance to make. That this certainly bores out by way by Ward's altered habits at the time, especially at his continual search through the town's records among the old burying grounds for a certain grave dug in 1771, the grave of an ancestor named Joseph Kerwin, some of whose papers he professed to have found behind the paneling of a very old house in Only Court on Stampers Hill. Which Kerwin was known to have built and occupied. It is, broadly speaking, undeniable that the winter of 1919 
through 1920, saw a great change in Ward, whereby he abruptly stopped his general antiquarian pursuits and embarked on a desperate delving onto the occult subjects both at home and abroad, varied only by his strangely persistent search of his forefather's grave. From this opinion, however, Dr. Willett subsequently dissents, basing his verdict on his close and continuous knowledge of the patient, and on certain frightful investigation and discoveries which he made towards the last. Those investigations and discoveries had left their mark upon him, so that his voice trembles when he tells them. His hand trembles as he tries to write them. Willett admits that the change of 1919 through 1920 would ordinarily appear to mark the beginning of a progressive decadence, which accumulated in the horrible and uncanny alienation of 1928. But he believes from personal observation that that a finer distinction must be made. Granting freely that the boy was always ill-balanced temperamentally, and prone to be unduly susceptible and enthusiastic in his responses phenomenon around him, he refuses to concede that his early alteration marked an actual passage from sanity to madness, crediting instead Ward's own statement that he had discovered or rediscovered something whose effects on human thought would likely be marvelous and profound. The true madness, he is certain, came with a later change, after Kerwin's portrait in the ancient papers had been unearthed. After a trip to strange foreign places, which had made in some terrible invocation, after a trip to strange foreign places had been made and some terrible invocations chanted under strange and secret circumstances, after certain answers to these invocations had been plainly indicated, a frantic letter pinned under agonizing and inexplicable conditions, after waves of vampirism and the ominous Pictonic's gossip, after the patient's memories commenced to exclude contemporary images, whilst his voice failed and his physical aspect went under subtle modification, so many subsequently noticed. Um, that's interesting. So, I feel like, like, what if he's just, like, autistic or, like, has ADHD? <laughs> like, it just sounds like, it just sounds like he's, like, he has, like, a real, fo- he's real focused on one thing. It doesn't care about yeah, anything Yeah, it sounds else. like he's just hyper-focused. Which, you know what, yeah, he's, maybe he just has ADHD or autism. Maybe both. This poor man is just neurodivergent. Y'all gotta leave him alone. <laughs> okay. He could be neurodivergent. He could also have someone take over his body. Uh, yeah. Yeah. From the past. I guess these are all very possible. <laughs> the third option is that he's a changeling. Oh, shit. That uh, was changed uh, way too late in life. <laughs> he's a late Instead of taking he's a, a late bloomer. bloomer. <laughs> whatever, whatever, instead of taking a baby out of a cradle, they took a full grown man and replaced it with another so, one. Somebody <laughs> forgot to switch him and it's been like 20 years. They're like, oh, fuck. Do you think I can still do oh. it? <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> they, they're like, they like turn around, they see this 20 something changeling just standing there, like, oh, shit, I forgot about you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit, get in the car. Like, oh, I don't know. Get in the car, like, we're going. Wait, I, I didn't learn anything. How am I supposed to know? Just just ask a lot of questions. Just, it's okay. Just, don't worry about it. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, shit. I, I got some index oh. cards. We'll do, we'll do a flash quiz on the way there. Someone, someone dis- distract Titiana. I really need to get this <laughs> change really like. fucked up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, babe! She's gonna kick me out. Oh fuck! And then what am I gonna do? Go with the unseely? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! It was about this time Willett points out with much acuteness that the nightmare qualities had became indubitably linked with Ward, and the doctor feels shudderingly sure that enough solid evidence exists to sustain the youth claim regarding his crucial discovery. In the first place, two workmen of high intelligence saw Joseph Kerwin's ancient papers found. Secondly, the boy once shewed 
Dr. Willett those papers and a page of Kerwin's diary. And each of the documents had every appearance of genuineness. The hall where Ward claimed to have found them has a long visible reality, and Willett had a very convincing final glimpse of them in surroundings which can scarcely be believed and can never perhaps be proved. Then there was the mysteries and the coincidences of the Orne and Hutchinson letters, and the problem of Kerwin's penmanship, and of what the detectives brought to light about Dr. Allen. These things, and the terrible message in medieval minuscules found in Willett's pocket when he gained consciousness after his shocking revelation. And most conclusive of all, there are two hideous results, which the doctor obtained from a certain pair of formulae during his final investigations, results which virtually prove the authenticity of the papers and their monstrous implications to the same time that those papers born forever from human knowledge. Chapter Part 1, Chapter 2 One must look back at Charles Ward's earlier life as at something belonging to much of the past as the antiquities he loves so keenly. In the autumn of 1918, with a considerable show of zest and military training of that period, he had begun his junior year at Moses Brown High School, which lies very near his home. The old main building erected in 1819 had always charmed his antiquarian sources. It set up a appeal to a sharp eye for landscape, and the spacious park in which the academy is set appealed to his sharp eye for landscape. His social activities were few, and his hours were spent mainly at home, in rambling walks, in his classes and drills, and in pursuit of antiquarian and genealogical data in the city hall, the state house, the public library, the Athenaeum, the Historical Society, the John Carter Brown and John Hayes Libraries of Brown University, and the newly opened Shepley Library in Benefit Street. One may picture him yet as he was in those days, tall, slim, and blonde, with studious eyes and a sight stoop, dressed somewhat carelessly and given a dominant expression of harmless awkwardness rather than attractiveness. His walks were always adventures in antiquity, during which he managed to recapture from the myriad relics of a glamorous old city a vivid and connected picture of the centuries before. His home was a great Georgian mansion atop the well-nigh precipitous precipitous yep, atop the well-nigh precipitous hill that rises just east of the river, and from the rear windows of its rambling wings, he could look dizzily out over the clustered spike, domes, roofs, and skyscraper summits of the lower town and the purple hills of the countryside beyond. Here he was born, and from the lovely perch of that double-bayed brick facade, his nurse at first wheeled him in his carriage past the little white farmhouse of 200 years before that town had long overtaken, and on towards the stately colleges, along the shady, sumptuous street, where old square brick mansions and smaller wooden houses with narrow, heavy, column Doric porches dreamed steady and exclusive amidst their generous yards and gardens. He had been willed along sleepy Kong Street, one tier lower than that steep hill, and with all the its eastern homes on high terraces, the small wooden houses averaged a greater age here, for it was up on this hill that the growing town had climbed, and in the rides he imbibed something of a color of a quaint colonial village. The nurse used to stop and sit on the benches of Prospect Terrace to chat with policemen, and one of the children and one of the child's first memories was that of a great westward sea of hazy roofs and domes and steeples, and the far hills which he saw 
one winter afternoon from that great railed embankment, all violet and majestic against a fevered, apocalyptic sunset of reds, golds, and purples, and curious greens. The vast marble dome of the state house stood, massive silhouette, its crowning statue haloed fantastically by a break of one of the tinted stratus clouds that barred the flaming sky. When he was larger, his famous walks began, first with his impatiently dragged nurse, then alone in dreamy meditation, further and further down that almost perpendicular hill to adventure, and in time reaching older and quainter levels of that ancient city. He would hesitate gingerly down the vertical Jackness Street, with its bank walls and colonial gables, to the shady Benefit Street corner, where before him was a wooden antique, with an ionic, pilastered pair of doorways, and beside him an prehistoric, gambrelled roofer with bits of primal farmyard remaining, and the great Judge Durfee's house, and its fallen visages of Georgian grandeur. It was getting to be a slum here, but the Titan Elms cast a restoring shadow over the place, and the boy would stroll south, past the long lines of pre-revolutionary homes, with their great central chimneys and classic portals. On the eastern side, they were set high over basements with rail double flights of stone stairs, and the young Charles would picture them as they were when the street was new, and the red hills and prairie wings would set off the painted pediments, those signs of where and now become so visible. So far, I don't think we've had a single story where we didn't mention Gabriel Drews nope. or Gabriel he- <laughs> I was talking to my mom about this the other day, actually. I was like, yeah, he really likes gamble roofs, the word antediluvian. <laughs> like, he said eldritch and oh, cyclopean and- way less than he's ever yeah, said. Yeah, he likes those words, too, but less than antediluvian and gambrel roof. I like how- and he'll use it- <laughs> Oh, sorry, go ahead. He'll use it- both as exaggeration and not exaggeration, I, which is just like confusing. Yeah, exactly. Which one do you mean, HB? Explain. Yeah. I like also I like is how this how Charles as a toddler just kind of like <laughs> dragged his poor nurse around while he just wandered about outside. Like at the beginning, they're like, yeah, he just um there's nothing I can do. He, I, I'm just a nurse. I just have to follow him around. He just keeps on pointing at roofs and being like, I like that. And I'm like, and I d- okay, cool. I love I love it. Great. Roofs are cool, too. Why do you like that one? It's gambled. It's a gambled roof. It's a gambled roof. I love gambled roofs. <laughs> I lo- <laughs> uh, okay. how, do, how do you say it? How do you say it's an antediluvian gamble roof and uwu flex? Antediluvian. Antediluvian. Gamble roof. Westward, that hill dropped almost as steeply as above, down to the old town street where the founders had laid out at the river's edge in 1636. There ran innumerable little lanes with leaning huddled houses of immense antiquity, and, fascinated though he was, it was long before he dared to tread their archaic verticality, for fear that they would turn out a dream or gateway to unknown terrors. He found it much less formidable to continue along Benefit Street, past the iron fence of St. John's Hidden Churchyard, and the rear of that 1761 colonial house in the moldering bulk of the Golden Ball Inn where Washington stopped. At meeting the successful Gal Lane and King Street of other periods, he would look upwards to the east and see the arched flight of steps to which the highway had to resort to climbing the slope and downward to the east. Glimpsing at the old brick colonial schoolhouse that smiles across the street, at the ancient sign of Shakespeare's head, where Providence Gazette 
and Country Journal was printed before the Revolution. There came the exquisite First Baptist Church of 1775, lustrous with its matchless Gibbs steeple and the Georgian roofs and cupolas hovering by. Here and to the southward, the neighbor had become better flowering at last into a marvelous group of early mansions, and still the little ancient lanes led off down a precipice to the west spectral in their many gabled archaisms, and dipping to a riot of iridescent decay, which the wicked old waterfront recalls its proud East India days amongst polyglot vice and squalor, rotting wharves, and blear-eyed chip chanteries, with surviving alley names like packet, bullion, gold, silver, coin, bloom. Sovereign, gilder, dollar, dime, and cent. Sometime, as he grew taller and more adventurous, young Ward would venture down this maelstrom of tottering houses and broken transoms, tumbling steps, twisted balustrades, swarthy faces, and nameless olders, winding from South Main to South Water, searching out the docks where the bays and the sound steamer still touched, and returning northward to the lower bridge past the steepled roof in 1816 warehouses, where the broad squares of the Great Bridge, where the 1775 Market House still stands firmly on its ancient arches. In that square, he would pause to drink in the bewildering beauty of the old town as it rises on the eastward bluff decked to the two Georgian spires and crowned by the vast new Christian science dome, as London was crowned by St. Paul. He is likely to reach this point in the late afternoon, with this slanting sunlight would touch Market House, and ancient hill roofs and balfries with gold, and throws magic around the dreaming wharves where Providence Indian men used to ride the anchor. After a long look, he would grow almost dizzy with a poet's love for the sight, and then he would scale the slope homeward in the dusk, past the old white church and up the narrow precipice ways, where the yellow gleams would begin to peep out in the small pane windows through fan lights set high over double flights of steps with curious wrought iron railings. In other times, and in later years, he would seek for vivid contrasts, spending half a walk in the crumbling colonial region southwest of his home, with its ghetto and where the hill drops to the lower eminence of Stamper's Hill, with its ghetto quarters clustering around the place where Boston Stagecoach used to start before the Revolution, and the other half to the gracious southernly realm about George, Malevolent, Power, and William Street, where the old slope holds, unchanged, the fine estates and bits of the walled gardens and steep green lanes in which so many fragment memories linger. Those rambles, together with the diligent studies which accompanied them, certainly accounts for a large amount of the antiquarian lore which at last crowded the modern world from Charles' mind to illustrate the mental soil upon which fell in that fearful winter of 1919 through 1920, the seeds that came to such a strange and terrible fruition. Dr. Willett is certain that up to this ill-omened winter of the first change, Charles Ward's antiquarianism was free from any trace of the morbid. Graveyards held for him no particular attraction beyond their quaintness and historical value, and of anything like violence or savage instinct. He was utterly devoid. Then, by insidious degrees, they appeared to develop at a curious sequel to one of his genealogical triumphs of the years before, when he discovered among his maternal ancestors a certain long-lived man named Joseph Kerwin, who had come from Salem 
in March of 1692, and about whom a whispered series of highly particular and disquieted stories clustered. Oh! 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 We're gonna we're gonna be getting a uh, from beyond reference. Ward's great great grandfather, Welcome Potter had in 1785 married a certain Anne Tillingas, daughter of Miss Eliza, daughter to Captain James Tillingas, of whose paternity the family had preserved no trace. Late in 1918, while examining a volume of original town records and manuscript, the young genealogist encountered an entry describing a legal change of name by which in 1772 a Miss Eliza Kerwin, widow of Joseph Kerwin, resumed, along with her seven-year-old daughter Anne, her maiden name of Tillingas, on the ground that her husband's name had become a public reproach by reason, which of what has known after his decease, confirming an antient common rumor, though not to be credited by loyal rife till so proven as to the holy past doubling. This entry came to light among the accidental separation of the two leaves, which had been carefully pasted together and treated as one by labored revision of the page numbers. So, Tillingast is the name of the guy yeah, who discovered how to beyond. tap into the other world. Uh, beyond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, he did get shot. He got bad. shot, like, for real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's, uh, it's nice. It's nice yeah, that we- Yeah, uh, I like Tillingast. It's didn't think rad. we'd get that Tillingast name back. Um, oh, so, now we know that Ward's uh, um, great-great-grandmother was originally married to this uh, uh, Kerwin, originally. And so- yeah. 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 And I guess well there's so no he, there's no male line. Oh, so he must after. be so uh Anne's if they weren't taking the names uh, great grandson, if that's the case. So he so he is a direct descendant of Joseph Kerwin. Yes. Yeah. Oh shit. Well then. Yes. But they so. uh Joseph but she changed her name because yeah, Ker- it would have back to, to her at least according to made a name because apparently Kerwin was uh not well liked. No. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of yeah. like how the people related to Hitler yeah. changed the last name. Yeah. After yeah. World War II. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, makes sense. Although, was was Kerwin as bad as Hitler? We don't know. <laughs> Except that he was old. All we know is that he was old. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. He was real old. That's it. That's all we got. It was at once clear to Charles Ward that he had indeed discovered a hitherto unknown great-great-great-grandfather. The discovery doubly excited him, because he had already heard vague reports and seen scattered allusions related to this person, about whom there remained very few publicly available records, aside from those becoming public only in modern times that it almost seemed as if a conspiracy had existed to blot him from memory. What had appeared, moreover, was of such singular and proactive nature that one could not fail to imagine, curiously, what it was that the colonial recorders were so anxious to conceal and forget, or suspect that the deletion of the reason had been all too valid. Before this, Ward had been content to let his romancing about old Joseph Kerwin remain an idle stage, but having discovering his own relationship to this apparently hushed-up character, he began to hunt down as systematically as possible whatever he might find concerning him. In this excited quest, he eventually succeeded beyond his highest expectations for old letters, diaries, and she's done public memoirs and cobweb providence uh, garrets and elsewhere yielded many illuminating passages about which their writers had not thought worth their while to destroy. 
One important sidelight came from the point as remote of New York, where some Rhode Island colonial correspondence had been stored in the Museum of France's Tavern. The really crucial thing, though, and what Dr. Willett's opinion formed that defining source of war's undoing, was the matter found in August 1919 behind the paneling of the crumbling house in only an only court. It was beyond a doubt which had opened up those black vistas whose end was deeper than the pit. End of part two and end Damn. of this first uh, part of the I do have to say recording uh, book. This is giving yeah. me some uh some of the better parts of Shunned House. It's given me it feels like uh he's recycled some of the stuff from that. Like remember the uh that like French family that they uh the townsfolk didn't like and they ended up killing them and like burning down their house. Yeah. Yeah, so that were good. Yeah, it was it was the parts of the Shunned House which Yeah. Couldn't it be fixed by just Shund like fixing like, some yeah, pipes. Yeah, so this family used to live in the same plot, uh, but they did some real spooky stuff. The other townspeople didn't like them, so one day they murdered them all and burned their house to the ground. Uh, and now they're supposedly buried somewhere under this plot. Yeah, like that was spooky. That was the best part of it. Oh, and if we were to oh. uh, refer to another story, which were. I think was written better than the Shunned House, oh, fuck but yeah. also unfortunately <laughs> had nineteen incidences. <laughs> Of the end Damn it. Rats in the <laughs> uh, wall. The rats on the wall. The beginning of that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, rats on the wall were like, <laughs> I like how he was so cool with his family being so, like, shitty. <laughs> the locals were like, yeah, the Pope made it legal to kill your family. And he's like, oh, that sounds right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thou shalt not kill unless you're from this family and boy did we <laughs> if it's yeah but uh but no the genealogical part of it which i think would be mm, boring most of the time is done in a way that makes it real spooky because you do have that uh immediate res thing in the beginning where it's just like Something happened to this person. Yeah, something very bad happened to this person, and they yeah, are not it, the same. Uh, my my running theory is Joseph uh, Kerwin uh-huh. took over his body somehow. Oh shit! Yeah, like because they uh, it does appear that um, other people have tried to as much as possible conceal history of this man Joseph Kerwin because uh, like the. That was definitely hidden that he found out that he was actually his great 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 grandfather. The two pages were pasted together. So the the fact that the page numbers were changed as well. Yeah, yeah. So somebody went to great lengths to make sure that this man wasn't remembered. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I have a feeling something about this Joseph dude. Oh my god, this is so long. But uh, we have. So many more pages left of this. No, it is his longest. This is good. I think this is the second longest story he wrote. It's the longest one. Oh, no, it is. Yeah. He, he, I know. But making it real spooky. He managed to do the part that would bore me in most stories. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. And the next part we're going to be actually talking. It looks like we're going to actually be talking about. Um, I want to learn about this terrible man. A little bit more directly. What what if he was like just like the first two to figure out pegging was real cool? <laughs> They're like this this is too good. We can't continue this. Erase all memory they, of this. He video. found he found out about prostate massaging. He found the prostate and he's coming too <laughs> we hard. Can't, we can't spread this any further. <laughs> all anybody's doing is pegging each other. Turns out the pages that were paced together are actually it was just. Someone just shot a little bit too hard. I uh, I almost made a joke about that. <laughs> uh, and then I was like, and then I was like, yeah, somebody's masturbating over some civic records. <laughs> oh yeah, oh fuck yeah, change your name <laughs> because your husband has a bad reputation. Oh hell yeah, telling gas more like telling. <laughs> Blast and probst. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. We okay. So well, they even built it in putting a, a masturbation scene in every single HP Lovecraft story. We have found the one in this one already. <laughs> yeah. The reason they changed all the letters is because they thought it was like actually numbered wrong. It's so it was so stuck together. <laughs> It smells kind of weird. But, uh, I'm not gonna pry it open. Well, to be fair, like they're using Ugh. stuff like rabbit skin glue and stuff. Like it doesn't. That That's stuff true. doesn't smell good. Or they'd be using glue uh, from like fish oh, God, skin or something right. like that. Do you have anything else to say? It's just the beginning of a, it's. I mean, he hooked us in. It's good so far. So that's uh, promising. You are the irreplaceable gash in the fabric of reality. You're. Keening Sadakal is like no other, and if it faded from the abyss, the void that would remain would be unfillable, and the mansions of silence would forever fill with our limits. Bye!